I'd ask that you would grab your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Ephesians if you haven't already. We are in a series that we have called A Life on Fo- or in Focus. A Life in Focus. And we are taking uh, these uh, last weeks of spring to focus in on a couple uh, particular uh, themes or topics that are most important to us as Christians. For many of us, we uh, find that uh, pursuing a life of holiness is our number one priority, and it should be. But practically speaking, sometimes as Christians, we focus in on the theology, if you will, the, um, the sense of following what the Word of God says, and we forget to live that out in our everyday lives. And during this uh, series, we want to look at some particular areas of living that need to be lived like Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, just very quickly, Paul tells us to be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, to live a life of love as Christ loved us. Last week we talked that we are to be imitators of God when it comes to our parenting. That we are to live like our Father in heaven as we love and as we care and as we nurture for our children. To make sure that we do the best job we can because we are serving God as we serve our children. And for the next two weeks, we're going to focus in on the subject of marriage. The important subject of one man and one woman coming together and being life partners, being soulmates, being one flesh for the rest of their lives. Now we need to spend some time talking about this. We need to spend some time seeking the face of God because the subject of marriage is one that sees great trouble uh, today. We live in a world where marriage has lost its meaning. We live in a world where marriage is no longer a successful enterprise. Think about this for a moment. The statistic that we get today is that 50% of marriages, somewhere around half, will end in divorce. Now that's not a successful enterprise. Think for a moment. If every day you went out to your car to get ready for work and you went to start your car and 50% of the time it started, not a very effective uh, automobile, you would be shopping around for a new one. You would say it's unreliable. It doesn't live up to what it has been advertised to do. What if you went to a particular restaurant and 50% of the time the food was good? you probably wouldn't be going there all that regularly. And yet, one of the most important, in fact, the most important relationship besides our relationship with God, we find now that it has a failure rate of 50%. Now you'd say, well, we're in the church, and and of course we don't have that kind of divorce rate. Well, many statisticians, including Christians, ones say that uh, the evangelical rate of divorce is about the same. We're no different than the world, even though we're called to be different, even though we're called to be uh, the salt and light in the world. When it comes to our marriages, my friends, we have failed. We have failed when it comes to living in light of Christ's love and his uh, relationship that we have with him when it comes to our spouses. It seems that we would begin to point our fingers at the homosexual agenda and say they're the ones that want to redefine marriage. I will tell you something, church. It isn't the homosexuals that have redefined marriage. It is many of us. We have downgraded marriage. We have put marriage down as being something that isn't that important. And yet we get mad at the world when they say, hey, we want to redefine it. We want to change it. And our blood begins to boil and we say, hey, it shouldn't be redefined. It's already been defined. 
My friends, we define marriage every day to the world when we treat our husbands and wives in a God-honoring way. When we begin to love them as Christ loved the church, as wives submit to their husbands as God has called them to, that is how we define marriage. But sadly, redefining marriage is a buzz phrase and not a way of living. If we want to see marriages changed, then it starts with God's Word. It starts with opening up the Word and asking the Creator of marriage how it is to be done. You see, we all come into marriages flawed. We all come into marriages with baggage. None of us come into them perfect. And yet, because we're flawed, and yet, even though we find ourselves carrying the baggage that we do, God says we can have abundance in marriage. We can find blessing in marriage. But we have to do it the way God has called us to. Marriage will continue, my friends, to be degraded in this world until we show the world what marriage is all about. How is that to be accomplished? We're to do that by living Christ-centered marriages and lives. We're to teach others how to find hope in struggling marriages. I was so encouraged uh, this last week that, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, a neighbor woman from down the street came down. Her, her boys uh, play with Noah and Joshua. And she sat in our family room and she said, uh, my, my marriage and my parenting skills are miserable. Would you help us? I remember her leaving the room and saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've allowed me the grace and the mercy to live a Christ-centered parent, being a Christ-centered parent and a Christ-centered marriage in our neighborhood, that our neighbors would come and say, you know what? You seem to have things figured out. And of course, (laughs) boy, we've got them fooled in some ways. but, But the reason why isn't because of Amanda and I. Again, we bring baggage. We bring issues to the marriage. We're dysfunctional, at least I am. And, uh, and yet, the world says they've got, it, they've got it figured out. My friends, if we would look to Christ, and if we would elevate our relationship with Christ to where it needs to be, then our marriages would be different. I will tell you that in your parenting and in your marriages, those are the two greatest areas of outreach that you can have. You show the world how to parent. You show the world what it means to have a God-honoring marriage. And you will evangelize the world. I've been blown away by um, the struggles that people have when it comes to parenting and marriage. Now those are two very intimate issues. And yet I'm learning, at least within my peer group, that those are two areas that people are willing and open enough to articulate their areas of failure. Because they want it to work. They want it to figure, want to figure it out. And so they're seeking a desire. They're, they're seeking help and a desire to pursue righteousness in this way. Well, how do we begin to do it? A sermon won't do it. Not even two weeks of sermons on marriage will really begin to plunge the depths of what God has to say about it. But there are a couple of things we can do. First of all, we preach a sermon like this because we want to bring a spotlight to it. That we as a congregation must pursue uh, a righteousness in marriage. In a church this size, I, I shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to be surprised by it. But there are failing marriages in our midst. We as elders are counseling uh, numerous couples in our midst, helping them to seek restoration and a uh, re-engagement in their marriage. Some of it is as a result of issues of fornication or adultery. Others are unsettled conflict and bitterness. Others are just uh, the day in and day out grind of the world. My friends, we are not 
um, we are not immune to uh, bad marriages. We're not immune uh, to sin creeping into our marriages and uh, creating an issue like divorce. So we need to preach about these things. We need to talk about these things. We need to define these things. The elders have thought long and hard about having a statement on the family. And uh, one that I think would probably look a lot like the Baptist faith and message of 2000. I'm asking them to throw it on the screen. We need to define what uh, marriage is. This is what uh, the Southern Baptist Convention says about marriage, and I like it a lot. It says, marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. Now notice, the husband and wife are equal of equal worth before God, since both are created Excuse me, in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for and to protect and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God as is her husband and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. So we preach a message about marriage. We define what marriage is and the role that each of us as husbands and wives have in the marriage. But let's get practical. A definition and even a sermon on marriage isn't going to fix the 2 a.m. fight that takes place in your home. It isn't going to deal with the long issues of bitterness and unsettled conflict that takes place. It won't take care of the past sins. And so we have to get practical. Uh, On Sunday nights right now, Amanda and I are facilitating, finishing up a, a, a class that is called Marriage on the Rock. Not Marriage on the Rock. Some have said that. That's not what the class is. It's Marriage on the Rock, a, uh, a metaphorical picture of uh, Jesus Christ being the rock of all marriages. And I want to tell you something. If after these next two weeks there is a desire in your heart and you as husband and wife can say, we want to spend some time understanding our roles in marriage and how to have a marriage on the rock, then Amanda and I are willing uh, to put together a couple different times during the summer to go through the material. I will tell you, if you've ever talked with anybody who's gone through it, it will change the way you view your role in marriage. I have learned so much and I've taken the class three times and I still am learning. Amanda keeps enrolling us in the class. (laughs) The desire of the elders is on three fronts when it comes to practical living out of our Christian lives. Number one, it comes to our parenting. Number two, it involves our marriages. And number three, our finances. And so what you're going to see in those equipping you classes time and time again is how to have a Christ-centered view and outlook on those three relationships. And we're going to be talking about finances later in this series. So we need to understand what marriage is all about. But why do marriages fall apart. Well, you know the story. A couple is deeply in love. 
You see one and you see the other. They do all their things together. They sit and talk for hours about their future. They show their love to one another in a million little uh, seemingly uh, insignificant ways. They date like this for months, maybe even years. And finally, when they reach the point that they feel they just can't bear to be apart any longer, they get married. At this point, they become husband and wife, and for a while, they're happy. Then, after the dust settles and the gifts are all opened, after they've gotten used to getting to know one another and being together, it seems that the old flame burns out. It's not as bright as it used to be. In fact, it's maybe just a smoldering ember. She never had to open a door when they were dating. Now she opens them all. He never saw her unless she was looking her best, and now every day he sees her at her worst. There are surprises now that were never expected beforehand, secrets that are kept and never articulated. There are issues that come up, and now they find themselves not loving one another, but acting like warring nations. Most of the married individuals in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. What started out as wedlock has now turned into a Monday morning commute of gridlock where nobody will move and everything is locked in and there's no love, there's no affection. And for the sake of the children, we stay together and we live out not as husband and wife, but two roommates in a home where there is now division God desires for harmony. This is the problem that we see in marriages. And how do we fix them? How do we fix them before we get to this point? Well, this week we're going to deal with the foundation of marriage. The role of both husband and wife. And then husband and wife in each of my points. And then next week we're going to deal with more specifically the practical application of how to live out in that relationship. So let's look to our scriptures. And let's look to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. As we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, let's see what the Word of God says to us this morning. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself And the wife must respect her husband. Father God, we come before you. And we come before uh, your word this morning, which is living and active. It is able to speak to us this morning. Father, I pray 
For every couple represented here today, I pray for every individual, young individual in this place who uh, is still um, uh, looking for a spouse or looking forward to marriage, Lord. These are important truths that we must understand. Father, I thank you that you have seen fit to allow us to see your heart and to know your framework for which marriage is supposed to be lived out. Lord, I pray for the gridlock in marriages here today for the ones that are known, for those that are unknown, Lord, that you would begin to begin to break up that gridlock, that you would allow, if you will, the oil of the Holy Spirit to impart in the, the gears of our marital lives that instead of locking joints, Lord, there would be a fluidity of love towards one another. Lord, we need your help in this. We can't do this on our own. Apart from you, we would end in failure. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to even me as a husband that I would live as Christ has loved me and his church. To you be the glory, honor, and praise for what is shared here this morning. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. How do we move from gridlock to wedlock? The answer is seen in three important points. The first one has to do with both the husband and wife. We see if we want to see blessing when it comes to our marriages, then both spouses must commit to God's plan for the home. If we want to have God's blessing in the home, then we must understand what God's plan for the home is. That's why it's important to have some defining things that the scripture talks about, to be able to articulate what our role is. But before we get to roles, we have to understand as an individual, what is my job? If I want to bring blessing into my marriage, then I have to have a right relationship with my God in heaven. And so a couple of the things that we see this morning is if we want to be committed to God's plan for the home, it involves some things. Number one, it means we must be certain of our salvation. We must be certain of our salvation. One of the key areas that you need to look at if there's issues of strife, ongoing issues, is the question, are both of us saved? Are both of us Christians? Second Corinthians talks about uh, the issue of being unequally yoked. In fact, turn to Second Corinthians. If you're in the book of Ephesians, go to your, uh, to your left, to the book of Second Corinthians. Just a couple pages over, you'll find Second Corinthians, and we're looking at chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul articulates this idea of being yoked being connected, partnering with uh, unbelievers. And this is what he articulates. He says, Do not be yoked together, in verse 14, with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? For what fellowship can light have with darkness? What uh, What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Now you say, Tim, where, where do you see the idea of marriage in that text? Well, it's not in there explicitly. But the idea is, is be careful that you don't go, grow to be so connected with an unbeliever that if they tell you to jump, you're saying how high. That your love and your heartstrings are being pulled to them in such a way that you are wanting to do what they do instead of what Christ does. 
Well, I'll be honest with you. I know of no other relationship that sees that more than the marriage relationship. Yes, it could be applied uh, to business partnerships and to friendships. But the marriage, the intimacy of a marriage relationship, this seems to be what Paul is articulating when he says, Hey, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. Now, this is a message for our young people or those who are not yet married to be very careful that in your dating experiences and in your ongoing relationships, that you are very careful not to yoke yourself with the wrong person. I know of a Christian individual who has had a wonderful upbringing as a Christian, a wonderful um, Christian education, and he made one wrong decision. And that is he belittled the importance that his wife be a believer. And I can tell you something, a guy that had so much great uh, um, future ahead of him has now found himself in gridlock in his marriage. He thought the Lord was calling him to ministry and now his spouse says, man, I want nothing to do with God. And so he by himself each Sunday goes to church and his wife stays home. You want to make sure that both you and your spouse are saved. It's important. The second thing that we see in regards to the certainty of salvation isn't just that one is a believer and the other one isn't, but the idea of being certain that both of you are saved. The idea here is that both of you are walking with the Lord, that you both have a similar temperature for the Lord. This is important. This is an important understanding of what it is. One of you can't be on fire for the Lord and the other one not give a uh, care in the world about Christ. Oh, you may have been uh, saved a while ago, but the living out of that salvation is, is pretty much dead. You know, I love this about Amanda because I uh, started dating Amanda and I won't hide the fact that she was an unbeliever when I started dating her. And my father and my youth pastor were very tough on me that I would be careful in my uh, pursuit of being unequally yoked. And I remember in the first month we were dating, Amanda came to a real understanding of Christ and the pursuit of Christ. But I'm not so, that's important. But I got worried and my dad would say, hey, be careful that she's not just pursuing Christ because her boyfriend is pursuing Christ. We need to watch this live out. We need to allow her to begin to exhibit her faith. And if you've met Amanda and spent any time with Amanda, it's been about 14 years, I believe, that she's been a Christian and you would have thought she was saved from day one. She loves the Lord. She pursues the Lord with all her heart. Yes, I do a lot of the talking and I do a lot of the visible ministry, but I can tell you, you would not have a pastor if it wasn't for the zeal of my wife. She's just as on fire, probably more. There are more crowns coming to Amanda than the bald preacher in front of you. Amanda is a woman who pursues God's heart, and I am so thankful for it. Are you on the same page with your husband or your wife? The next thing we see is that you must be cleansed from any sin. Marriage must be pure. Marriage must be pure. You can't be uh, getting on the internet or pursuing and flirting with other individuals and think your marriage is going to have blessing in it. You can't be involved in thinking bad thoughts about your husband or your wife or gossiping about your husband and wife. You can't find yourself pursuing sinful things and think that your marriage will be uh, a marriage that is blessed by God. We need to make sure we cleanse ourselves from it. The idea here is that we are completely pure with one another. 
in this series, Marriage on the Rock, the speaker talks about the law of purity. And he takes the passage of Genesis where the two were naked and they had no shame. The idea here is that they were one together and that there was nothing between them. There was nothing that one held that the other one did not know. I will tell you that early on in my marriage, there were things I didn't articulate to Amanda. I didn't think they they were important. I didn't think that, you know, my own issues with sin and struggles weren't something that needed to be articulated to my spouse. Of course, they're my personal issues. My wife doesn't need to know about them. But later on, in probably year six and seven of our marriage, the Lord kept articulating, hey, these are things that Amanda needs to know about. You want to find victory over these things? Then you give them to your accountability partner, your wife. You begin to tell her, here, there are some areas of weakness. Here are some issues in your life, in your past, that you need to articulate to her. And I remember one late evening night, after dealing with a series of of a low point in my life, Amanda came and saw me. She saw that I was struggling with some inner turmoil. And she says, what's up? And I said, honey, I want you to sit down. I need to articulate some things to you, some things that I have not told you. And I began to articulate them. And, 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 and I don't want you to think that these are front page, you know, headline type things. But they were important things, a thing a spouse needs to know. And I articulated it to her. And I was so thankful that she said, you know what? I love you all the more. Thank you for being willing to articulate those things with me. To be willing to uh, not only be cleansed before our Savior, but to be cleansed before me. And I'll tell you, I have a, a point now, I have a commitment in my life that I will articulate, and I've said this before, I will not just be physically, and I don't, don't mean to be crass, so don't take it this way, be physically naked with my wife. I want to be spiritually, emotionally, in every way. You want to have a healthy marriage? You live out the law of purity. That everything that was within you, you articulate before your wife. Now that means, spouse, that you need to love and you need to forgive and you need to help work through. But get to that point where you can be cleansed one to another, purifying one another, presenting one another to God as Christ presents us to the church. The next thing we need to understand the scriptures talk about is that we need to be controlled by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 talk about the doctrine of being filled with the Spirit. Now that we understand the doctrine of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, now we're to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. In Ephesians 5, we are to be imitators of Christ. How? By being led by the Spirit. Remember when I spoke about being filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 9 in our study of Paul's conversion? And I talked about that being filled with the Spirit isn't just a spiritual thing, but it must be lived out in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our working, in our relationship with people outside of the church, in our outreach. We must be filled with the Spirit. And so when it comes to our marriages, we have to be controlled by the Spirit. That means that when we find ourselves being ready to articulate those very true statements about our spouse with that little bite to the end of our sentence, we need to say, you know what? I need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When we find ourselves pursuing things that are outside the bounds of marriage, we need to stop and we need to meditate on God's word and say, Lord, allow me to uh, find an escape from this temptation because I want to be controlled by you because when we're controlled by the spirit, we then find ourselves in harmony with our spouses. The old adage is, is that when, uh, when you get married, you join into the formation of a triangle. 
Each husband and each wife in every marriage is on the side of that triangle. God being at the pinnacle of that triangle. If you want to find God's blessing in your life, then what it means is that the husband and the wife must move up that triangle to get as close to God as possible. And when you're close to God and your spouse is close to God, of course, that triangle is far closer at the top than at the bottom. There are some of us in our marriages today who are living in our corner of that bottom part of the triangle who say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God. I'm not involved with God. And so what happens is is you're not controlled by the Spirit and your tongue and your actions allow for worldliness to be evident instead of Christ-likeness. We need to get close to God and thus we'll be close to our spouse. The next thing we see is that it involves being committed to our spouse. Notice what it says in verse 31 of our text. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The idea here is that there is a priority to your spouse. That when you are with your spouse, when you, let me rephrase that, when you are uh, connected with your spouse at the point of your marriage day, that you are connected for a lifetime. What God has joined together, the Bible, or the, the preacher will say, let no man, uh, put asunder or tear apart. And so what that means is, is when you commit to those vows, what you're saying is, is second only to my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am devoted to you, my spouse. Now, that can't be something we just say once and move on. It must be something that is ongoing. The part of the problem is, is in our marriages today, including marriages in our church, is that other things have become more important than our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse. Your job can't be more important. Your hobbies can't be more important. Your kids can't be more important. The church can't be more important. It goes God and then your marriage. And that is where we need to put our priority. So now we understand what the Scripture says and the importance of us having the right attitude and the right actions as we work with our Lord in the area of marriage. Now let's go to men. Look at what the text says. The second point this morning is that we see that men must cultivate godly priorities for husbands. We have a priority. We have a a list of priorities far more than what the women have. Listen to what it says in verse uh, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, presenting her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, we as husbands ought to love our wives as our own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it as Christ does the church. Let's stop there. What is the role for the husband? The role for the husband is threefold. The first one is, is as husbands, we ought to be leaders. We ought to be leaders. Now look at verse 23. I didn't read that as I was going through our text. This is what 523 tells us. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. The first role that we have as husbands is to be leaders, to be leaders. That means we take the lead. That doesn't mean we're dictators. That doesn't mean we're tyrants. But we are the head 
of the family. We are the head of the wife. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Well, in Paul's day, this would have been the feminist greatest day when the Apostle Paul said this. Because in the Roman, Greek, and even the Jewish traditions, the idea there in the culture was that women, women were like children at best. Some were even known to be slaves in some societies. And what Paul is saying is you're equal, but there's a responsibility that husbands have. They are to be the head. Now you say, okay, well, how do we see this lived out? What kind of uh, view, uh, what kind of picture do we have of this? This picture of uh, being the head is God the Father to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus Christ. They're equal, but they have differing responsibilities. They have similar uh, characteristics. They're all God. And yet one takes the lead. The son says to the father, whatever you command of me, I will do. Whatever your will is not my will, God, but your will be done. That's God speaking to God. And yet there is some differing that the father takes the lead. Not differing in essence, not in personhood, but in responsibility. Husbands, take the lead in your families. How do we do that? It means that we must be proactive in leading in the spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being of our families. To be the ones who are proactive. Now, man, Paul must have known where we would be at in this 21st century as husbands. For many of us, and I would even include myself in this, we have become lazy as husbands. Many of our wives have become the leaders in the homes. Many of our wives are the ones that are doing the molding of our children's lives and the, and the taking care of finances and the, and the day in, day out activities of the home. For many men in this place, you have abdicated your role of being spiritual leader in the home and you've allowed your wife to have to take that responsibility. And to you I say, shame on you. It is our role as husbands, it is our role as fathers to be the spiritual leaders of the home. I spoke a lot about my parents last week, but I will tell you I had a wonderful mother and father who lived out a godly marriage. They had problems, they had struggles, but my father showed me what it meant to be led by a man of God, and my wife showed me what it was like to be a Christian who submits to her Lord. They lived it out. Husbands, be leaders. The second thing that we need to understand is Paul articulates that we are to be lovers, not that type of lovers, if you were thinking that way. This is the Apostle Paul. This is not Barry White. We are to be lovers. Some of you got that. We are to be lovers. We'll talk about that next week. We are to love our wives. Notice what Paul says. He says numerous times in this text, husbands, love your wives. It is the word agapao, agape. It's the idea of a love that Christ, that God himself has shown us. We need to understand some things about this idea of love. The first thing we need to understand is it is a command. It is found in the imperative tense. It is a command, not a suggestion. Paul doesn't articulate, husbands love your wives if they deserve it. Husbands love your wives if they get their jobs done. Husbands love your wives if they look as good as they did on their marriage, on your wedding day as they do now. It doesn't say any of that. It says, husbands, no matter what your wife does, love your wife. Love her. It's a command. 
And we are to do it in a couple different ways. Very quickly, this love it has no exceptions. And what it means is now we have to understand what kind of love this is. The first thing we see is it's a selfless love. It's a selfless love. Write that. It's not in your outlines, but quickly write that down. It says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. Because Jesus Christ left heaven for his church. Jesus Christ left 24 hours, seven days a week of worship in heaven by the angels to come to us. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant. He was selfless. And the kind of love that we as husbands ought to show our wives is a selfless love. Not a love that tells your wife what to do. Not a love that orders or demands. But a love that says, I lead by serving. Not as the Gentiles do, lording it over the people. But the greatest in God's kingdom will be the servant of all. You want to lead your family right? You don't have to be a deep theological thinker. You don't have to know the Bible through and through. You just start serving your wife and your family the way Christ did his church. The next thing we see is it's sacrificial love. Look at verse 25 again. As Christ loved the church, there's our example. How did he do it? He gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ went to the cross. Not because we deserved it. For God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your wife may be the biggest nag in the world. She may treat you like your mother treated you. And yet, husbands, we are called to sacrifice for our wives. To lay down our lives. That may mean we give up a job promotion. That may mean we give up a golf game. That may, we, may mean we give up time with our friends or in our certain TV shows or sports. We sacrifice for our wife. No exceptions. Thinking of our wives before us. Christ laid down his life with joy in his heart for the joy that was set before him. This is not okay. You get to pick this time which uh, uh, Sunday meal we're going to have at what restaurant because I'm supposed to sacrifice and I don't want to go to your place with your arms folded like this, but with joy saying, honey, I want to make you happy. Where would you like to go? I want to sacrifice for you. What can I do so that you can spend some time in the quietness of, of a quiet room or off away? What can I do to take care of the kids? What can I do to take care of the home? that I can sacrifice for you. Husbands, when was the last time you, you cleaned up after yourself and after the kids? When was the last time you picked up the vacuum and started vacuuming in the house? You say, Tim, these aren't very biblical things. No, they're very practical and they will work wonders with your wife. Sacrifice. Can I get an amen from the women? Amen. <laughs> Pastor Tim, we love you. You're coming next. <laughs> can I get an amen from the men? Amen. Oh, I'm a dead man either way. <laughs> Our love needs to be steadfast as well. Look at verses 28 and 29. It's not that Jesus just did this one time, but notice in 28 and 29, Paul talks about the daily caring and feeding that he's do that the husband and as Christ did, as he served his spouse, he was doing it unto himself. When we serve and we are selfless to our spouses, it is no different than us caring for ourselves. 
Think about the amount of time that you put into your morning routine of getting ready, making sure every hair or their lack of is in place, making sure that you go out and you don't have a five o'clock shadow taking place, making sure your clothes are ironed, all these things. You stop in the kitchen, you make sure you prepare yourself a meal. Why? Because a man doesn't hate his body. He wants to make sure it looks good. He wants to make sure that he's fed and he's ready for the day. Now, those are daily activities that we do as human beings that must be lived out in the life of our marriages. You spend time nurturing. You spend time caring. But it doesn't just happen once. You say, well, I did that year one of our marriage. It is steadfast. He does it every day. His mercies are new when? Every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. Some of us as husbands are not steadfast in our love. We need to be lovers. Next, we need to be laborers. I need to get moving here. We need to be laborers. Husbands, we're called to work at our marriages. We are to put the time and the energy into them. We spend so much time working on our particular hobby or a particular area of interest. We work so hard to get that area of promotion. And yet we would find such great value and blessing if we just tried to promote our marriages. If we'd put in the extra time, not for the lousy boss that you work for, but for the lovely wife that you have at home, that you would promote, find yourself being promoted, working up the marital ladder, if you will. It means you have to work at it. Well, what does this labor involve? It involves protecting our wives. Write that down somewhere. Protecting our wives. I hope men, you are writing these things down. We must create an environment of security and safety in our wives' lives. This doesn't just mean when the, when there's that, uh, noise at the bottom of the stairs when you're in bed that we as husbands get up and and try to act cool as we walk downstairs in our pajamas, trying to put on our best Clint Eastwood type look. It's not what it is. Now, that's important. Yeah, you need to go down. Anybody I find out whose wife's carrying down the Louisville Slugger, I'm going to talk with you, okay? What I tell Amanda is it's nothing, and Noah will figure it out, and he'll take care of them. But that's not out of fear, just pure laziness. I told you I'm not perfect. We need to protect our wives. They need protection. Women, uh, I'm going to put a a generalization together here. Women are the the softer, the fairer sex. They're the ones where emotions run higher. I know it's not for every woman in this place, but for the most part, there's a, a, a fragileness to a woman. And I'm glad there is. I would never want to be married to someone who has the macho-ness and the bravado that I do because then I would have no one to show off to. There would be no one to say, wow, look at him, okay? So I'm glad there's a sensitivity to Amanda. I'm glad that there's an area of protection that I can love her and say, honey, you don't have to worry about these things. I don't want you to worry about these things. I want you to have freedom to, to be known that you are protected and loved. This is the kind of protection that God gives. Aren't you glad that when we come to know Christ, that we don't have to worry about our salvation, that we don't have to worry every day, am I going to live up to it? That is the kind of love that we should show our wives, protecting them and loving them and saying there's provision and there's care. When you fail, you won't hear about it, honey. You will be affirmed and loved and forgiven. That's what women are looking for. At least that's what the books tell me they are looking for. The next thing we see is they need to be proactive. This is important. Men, you need to be the one 
one who takes the lead. I talked about this in the area of leadership, but I will tell you, you be proactive. When you're fighting, you go and be proactive. Why do you say that? Where is that in the text? Look at what Christ did. Everything Christ did, he took the lead. He was the one that took the first step in redemption. He's the one who takes the first step in reconciliation. You want to love love, uh, your wife as Christ loves the church? Then you love as Christ did, being proactive. Jesus Christ always takes the first step. And husbands, don't wait for your wives. When you guys aren't talking, you go be man enough and say, honey, let's talk. Honey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And she may have wronged you in many ways, but you take the first step being proactive. You start there. Finally, it is to provide. Verse 29 talks about it. It talks about physically taking care of your wife, spiritually doing it as well, caring, nurturing, feeding, all these ideas here. This is important. This comes to us in our physical realm. Men, you are are called to work hard and to make money. And I know this is a tough time for, for many of us. And, uh, and I will speak to those who are right now unemployed. You say, Tim, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. So am I a failure? No, but I'll tell you something. You work as hard as you worked in your job at looking for another job. Don't become despondent. Don't become so disappointed that you don't, you're just kind of spending your time at home. Your job is to provide for your family. And yes, you're in a hard role right now. I understand it. I understand what it's like to feel like a failure at times at business. My business is feeling it as well. And I'll tell you something. I have to work extra hard to make sure I provide for my family. Wherever you're at, employed, unemployed, work to the Lord and work for your families. Now understand this. Some of us have plenty that we we don't need any more money. And yet you keep working. Stop it. Stop working all that overtime at the sake of your family. You don't need a third car. You don't need that extra vacation house. You don't need that stuff. And for some, we need to kind of push behind you and say, hey, let's get to work. Let's get moving. For others, we need to say, settle down because you're pursuing the wrong things. Your wife, maybe I'm wrong and maybe Amanda's a little different than most women. Most women don't want the things in the garage or the things in the house. What they want is their husband home. They don't want you to work more just so you can say, look how much money we got in our bank account. Make sure there's enough there so you're provided for, but then spend time with your spouse. Men, we put so much time into work. We try to provide, and yet what we need to be providing is presence, our presence in the home. All right, I got a couple more minutes. Let's get to women. We'll keep it short for you. I'll yell at you next week. Women, women, we must celebrate, or you must celebrate. I'm not one of you. We I did it again. Women must celebrate the godly position of being helpmates. This is what happens when the preacher gets nervous. I'm on borrowed time here. Women, your portion of Scripture is much smaller. Where there is leadership, there is responsibility. Where there is submission, there is a lighter sentence. There's less here for us to talk about in this passage of Scripture. Paul speaks to you as women. Wives, submit to your husbands, in verse 22, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wow, this is a a huge mountain of information. But let's break it down. Three things that we see, the role of the woman. You are to be a helpmate, and that means it involves your role. You need to understand your role. There was a wrestler not too long ago who had the adage, know your role. Boy, what a word of wisdom for our women. 
You know, back in the Garden of Eden, this was an issue. God even spoke to Eve and said, you're going to want his leadership. You're going to want his place of, of authority. You're going to desire it, but it is not yours to be had. So you need to know your role. This is the idea that you are to follow the leadership of your husband's. Now, this biblical position, as I said, was an attack on culture. In fact, it was a freeing up of women in that culture. Now, Paul says you are to submit. Write these things down. This word submit in the Greek literally was a military term that means to maintain your proper rank. Now, many, I've heard that preached many times, but as I did a word study, I understood that it wasn't just that it meant your proper rank, that your husband's the general and you're the private, and you just, every time he comes into the house, you salute, and you might not salute that way, but uh, you salute nonetheless, and you find yourself just being a subordinate. That's not what Paul is saying. Understand this. This word, um, uh, this word submit is found in passive voice, which means it's something that can't be ordered, but it must be voluntary. That's not what we see in the army. When a general walks in, you can't say, well, I'll think about it. You get up and you salute your commanding officer. This is not the relationship that the wife has with the husband. It is to be voluntary. It's found in the present tense, which means it is to be habitual. So in light of these aspects, it isn't just to maintain your proper rank. But what it means is, is that you submit as a wife with a voluntary attitude to cooperate with your husband. What it's saying is, is husband, I love you. And I know God's role for you in the family is to lead. I am here to serve. I am here to serve. Now notice what it says. It goes on in this idea of role. And it says that we are as wives there to submit to their husbands. What does the text say after that in verse 22? As to who? As to the Lord. Thank you three people that said that. As to the Lord. Notice this. A husband can't tell his wife on any whim and, and fancy that he wants this, this, or this done. Guys, we can't do that. Again, we're no general. What we're doing is living in such a way that our wives are able to say, I'll follow you. I submit to your authority. And so the idea here is as to the Lord. There's a couple uh, interpretations. It's number one, as what is fitting according to Scripture. You can't tell your wife to break the law of the Lord. You can't live contrary to the word of God and expect your wife to submit. Husbands, we need to hear that. But wives, also understand as to the Lord, as Jesus Christ submits to the Father. Not my will, God, but your will be done. It isn't about me, Lord, but it's about doing what you will in heaven. There's a balance there. And as the two of us, that's why point one is so important. If the two of us aren't getting our relationships right with God, our relationships with one another will fall apart. Understand the next thing is to respect. This idea of submission is more about respect than servitude. Notice what verse 33 says. It says, however, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now you say, okay, Tim... Uh, it's easy for uh, Amanda to respect you and honor you. You're a, you're a God-fearing man. You, you seem to, from everything that I see of you, Tim, you seem to be a good husband and a good dad, but I'm married to a moron. Okay, I'm just speaking honestly here. He doesn't love the Lord. He doesn't do anything. He's a bump on a log. And you want me, you want me to respect him? No way. 
It is my job to tell him that he's doing a bad job. Let me tell you something. Don't tell your husband where he's failing. Begin to encourage him in the areas that he's succeeding and speak truth into him on where you would like to see him be at. You want to see him uh, rise to higher levels? Then speak truth into him. Husband, you're doing a good job in this area. One of the biggest complaints that men have is they do not want their wives to treat them like they are children. And there are wives in this place today who are treating their husbands like one of the kids. Telling them they're doing bad. Telling them to do this and that. You want your husband to take the area of leadership? You want your husband to uh, be the spiritual leader and the provider in your home? You want him to be the lover that he is called to be? Then you know what you do? You start praying towards that end. You start allowing God to do the work in his life. And you start beginning to speak to him with encouragement and affirmation. Did you know the number one thing that men desire is not sex, but it is respect and honor? Did you know that? Did you know that we desire that more than any physical relationship? It is about respect and honor. Wives, pour into your husbands. You want to see your husband be a man of God? Then you start praying to that end and you start being the loving wife who love and prays and serves her husband and respects him in your life. The Bible says that there's a process that happens when a believing wife is with an unbelieving husband. It says, and I don't understand this theologically, that the believing wife sanctifies her, belie- her unbelieving husband. That's a theological minefield there. How can an unbeliever be sanctified? And yet that's what Paul says. Wives, pour into your husbands and make sure they are affirmed and they are respected, even if they don't live up to the respect that they deserve. Finally, there's a realization. Women, we must remember, as wives, your role is to be a helpmate. And what that means is that you do this, number one, with the realization that it honors God. Your husband may not deserve it, but it honors God. It's the idea that even though they haven't lived up to it, you're showing them it because that's what God has called you to. Number two, even though you don't deserve it, God does. Even though your husband does not deserve it, God does. You submit to your husband as to the Lord. He may not deserve it. He may have made all the mistakes that every book has said he's a lousy husband, but you serve a great God. And that great God has the ability to change your husband's life. One time a preacher was here and he said, you want your husband to change? You duck so God can hit them. That's good theology. You let God hit them. Let the Holy Spirit work them over. Let a fellow man from the church or someone work on them. I'm encouraged by what's going on in the men's ministry here at this church. Because there's a group of men. There's a lot of men. That when we get together, I'll tell you, you think we're talking about sports and talking about things? There is a real pursuit to talk about spiritual things. Men are wanting to become the spiritual leaders in their home. They may not know how to do it. A lot of it is that we maybe weren't trained to do it. You understand that though they haven't figured it out yet, that God is to be honored and God deserves your submission to that. And finally, carry the load. Help him carry the load. I'll tell you, there's no way I could accomplish the things that I do if it wasn't for my wife. 
My wife is just as important to my ministry in the pulpit and my ministry as an elder as me sitting down and studying. She takes care of things. She makes sure that that my needs are met in every way. And she does it without question. I'll tell you what, my wife drags our kids around all the time because we got to go counsel this person. We got to go to this meeting. We got to go buy this stuff for the catering business. And my wife, please hear me, has never said, can we just get a night to ourselves?" But she says, honey, we're serving the Lord and I'm here to be your helpmate. Amanda isn't perfect. I'm not trying to make her that way. But I will tell you, a wife that helps her husband is worth more than gold. Let's close with this. I want you to bow your heads. But as you do that, husbands and wives, if you're here today with your spouse, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. I want you to take the hand of your spouse. And I want us to pray. Father God, we live in a world that says marriage is a failure. We live in a world where marriage means nothing. But Lord, in your house, amongst your people, we stand in commitment to our wives and to our husbands. Father, for every relationship that is here today, there are those that have been married for one day. There are those who have been married for uh, 50 plus years. Lord, I pray that you would bless every marriage here today. Lord, there are marriages that are going well. Lord, allow that to continue to go on. Father, continue to allow them to have the lines of communication. Allow them to be controlled by your Spirit that you would be honored in the continued love that they have for one another. Lord, don't allow the evil one to take that away, to steal their joy, to steal their love for one another. Lord, allow them to continue to have that. Lord, for the couples here right now that are struggling, that it isn't complete gridlock yet, Lord, but boy, it's slowing down. The love that was once shown uh, years ago is now a distant memory. Lord, it's amazing that you spoke in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus where this passage is found. And you said that the church of Ephesus had lost their first love. Lord, for those couples here today who have lost their first love, when it comes to their relationship with one another, reignite that today. Lord, allow some conversations to take place. Allow some habits to change. Allow some spiritual disciplines to be grown and a love and hunger for you and a love and hunger for your, their spouse to be reignited. That they will be able to walk away from that ongoing attack of the devil to pursue peace and love. And finally, love, uh, Lord, I pray for the marriages that are now at the brink of divorce. Lord, it may not have been articulated yet, but the steps are heading that way faster than they would ever know. Lord, I pray a special blessing on them. Lord, that they would recognize a church around them that will not judge them, but will help them, will bear their burdens. Father, there are many resources in this place to help marriages like that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would impart in their hearts a a willingness and a desire to seek help before it's too late. Lord, I know of specific relationships in this place today who have spoken those words and who have now even begun the process of walking out on marriage. 
Lord, stop that now by your grace and mercy. We want to see you living and active in our relationships with our spouses. So, Lord, we know there are problems. We know we are a flawed people. But, Lord, we pray that you would be the Lord of our marriage. That you would renew in us the love that you have for your spouse, the church. And in doing so, we would bring glory and honor to you in the way that we live that out towards one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.